is great to be with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. This is the Jewish Growth Podcast. I hope that you are having a wonderful month of Cheshvan, if you are listening now during the month of Cheshvan. As I record this, we are about to go into Parshas Noach, so I want to say a few words about that. And in addition, this past week, the world witnessed Xi Jinping secure a third term as the leader of China, expunging rivals and replacing them with loyal allies, none of whom are young enough to be considered legitimate successors. Now, over the past decade, the Chinese leader has molded Chinese society in his own image. He is now the nation's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. Chinese citizens are inundated daily with images of Xi and his teachings, from prisoners to party members, from kindergarten teachers to firefighters. All ranks of Chinese society drink Xi's propaganda Kool-Aid every single day. Xi and his ideology are proclaimed through street signs, worker trainings in schools, every part of Chinese society. And Xi is referred to as the core of his party. He's muzzled opponents in a society that is rife with human rights violations. And what's emerged is a cult of personality of such great magnitude, the idea that a single man could control such a, a large swath of the human population is as mind-boggling as it is disturbing. Now, she, of course, is a standout dictator, but there's plenty of other dictators want to be dictators, cults of personality from Putin to Kim Jong-un and beyond. And with their widespread violations of human rights, we can see just how dangerous these cults truly are. Less than a month has passed since Rosh Hashanah, or just over a month, I should say, when the Jewish people declare that Hashem is the sovereign power of the universe. And on that Yom Teruah, the day of Shofar Blasts, we proclaim that Hashem, not flesh and blood, is the true ruler of the universe. And this idea of a true transcendental king is unthinkable in a place like China, Russia, North Korea, and many other locales. The radical idea of a true king was brought into the world by Judaism through the Hebrew Bible. In the 8th century BCE, Isaiah saw the arrogance of kings like Uzziah of Yehuda, and Isaiah protested against royal arrogance, arguing that God is the true king. And he followed in the footsteps of an earlier prophet, Shmuel, who argued that the Jewish people should not wish for a king who will take too much power. Shmuel echoed Sefer Devarim, Deuteronomy, which sought to limit the wealth and the power of kings. In fact, a Jewish king is commanded to write a Torah and read from it all the days of their life so that they will fear the king of kings. And the greatest example of this humility was King David. While David did stumble and sin at times, he accepted God's rebuke through the prophets. And the 51st Psalm, Nun Aleph, that he composed is a moving tribute to the enduring ability, the human power for change. So throughout our history, especially as detailed in Hebrew scripture, Jewish leaders have been wary of power, and there needs to be significant limits on the power of flesh and blood. Sefer Devarim, Deuteronomy, was concerned about human power. How far does that go back in the Torah? The answer is it goes back to the beginning. In Bereshit's Genesis, we learned that God is the creator. When Adam was commanded regarding the tree of knowledge, Hashem held Adam accountable. 
in Noah were introduced to people who believed that might makes right. And we also have additional layers of human accountability with widespread theft, the breakdown of appropriate boundaries. The Almighty decrees a flood that removes all boundaries. And Noah, in contrast, is a tzaddik who respects the laws of the Creator. But after the world breaks down through the flood, Noah emerges from the Teva, the Ark, and boundaries are reestablished. Murder is prohibited. Man is commanded to procreate of children. And God also promises, Continuously, all the days of the earth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. The post-flood return to boundaries is preceded by an important act that Noah undertakes, because as Noah leaves the Teva, the ark, he builds an altar to God, and he offers pure animals as a sacrifice, de- dedicating the world to Hashem. Noah not only respects the boundaries of the world, after the arrogance of his generation, he assumes a humble posture of worshiping God. Now, that's not to say that he didn't have his frailty. We know that he got too involved in wine too early. But he's known for his humble posture. And that posture of worshiping Hashem is the exact opposite of atheist societies. And so there's a tension in the world. Are we living in a God-centered world or a man-centered world? At the end of Noah, we find a, a, a strong example of what it looks like when people lose sight of that God-centered vision. The Torah states, The entire land was of one language and of united words. And they said each one to his fellow, Let us build a city, and, and a tower, and we will make for ourselves a name, lest we spread across the land. This generation was absorbed by the idea of society and making a name. But their emphasis in making a name was for themselves, not the name of God. And Rashi writes that this generation rebelled against the sovereign power of Hashem. The Midrash elaborates on how much they cared about society as opposed to individual people. If a person fell and died, the Midrash teaches, the people of Bubble wouldn't pay attention to him or her. But if a brick fell, they would sit and cry and say, how are we going to replace it? This Midrashic reflection points to how twisted human values can become when the center of our lives is something other than God. It's just a wonderful illustration of what can happen, say, in a socialist society, when society and not God become the central focus. When people live in a man-centered world, it leads to a basic lack of human decency. That was a lack of human decency that was evident at the Chinese Party Congress last week. It was a breathtaking moment. Some reporters had been allowed in at the last minute, and so we have video footage. Xi had his predecessor, known as Hu Jintao, whisked away from the Congress in a uh, in, in a moment that has been greatly analyzed by by the media who was once a, a major figure who helped so many people rise in his party. And yet there he is being basically whisked away in this very public way. And his former allies didn't even blink an eye. They just stared ahead. 
And it's kind of ironic that in a godless culture, the dignity of a human being, a former leader, could be thrown in the trash that way. Now, as soon as Noah emerged from the Teva, he brought a sacrifice and he established that we live in a God-centered world. And that's the foundation for the rest of Tanakh, the Bible, and Jewish and human history. Now, of course, Avram took things further than Noah. Avram is our father. He called out in the name of God, spreading knowledge of Hashem. But while Avram established the Jewish people, Noah also set a great precedent. He, he, he desisted from the theft of his generation, created the Teva so the world could be replanted. And finally, he rededicated the world to God, bringing about an offering. And in the end, he is remembered as the person who saved life and made an initial dedication of our world to the worship of Hashem. At the end of the sixth Saliyah of Parshat Breshit, the Torah says, Az likro Hashem. What is the meaning of these Hebrew words? On the surface, it sounds like the Torah is saying, then they began to call out in the name of God. And that's how the Ibn Ezra translates this verse. In contrast, Rashi translates the verse as, then they made it profane to call out in God's name. While Ibn Ezra understands the words, Az huchal to mean, then they began, as it's typically translated, Rashi takes the term Az huchal as, then they made it profane, related to the word, the Hebrew word for chulin or something that is secular or profane. And there is truth to both of these translations. The generation after Adam was a time when idolatry became more rampant. It was also a time when individuals began to call out on God's name. And so here is the basic question in human life. Which direction are we going in? What are we beginning? What beginning are we dedicating ourselves to? As Cheshvan, Hebrew month, begins, a very interesting Hebrew month, which isn't technically in the middle of the year, but is also beginning, we start to walk in the paths of our matriarchs and our patriarchs. We begin all over to call out in the name of God. And Judaism is not only a great ideology, but we express the great Jewish ideas in deed and in word. How can we build our belief in God into our lives? Now, the Talmud presents an apparent contradiction between two verses. On the one hand, Tehillim Chavdal 24 states, L'Hashem Ha'aretzimoloah, the land and its fullness, fullness are unto God. On the other hand, in Tehillim uh, 115, 115, Kliftas Vav, we find, adam, The heavens are unto God, and the earth is given unto man. And so which is it? Is the land unto God, or is it given unto man? And the rabbis resolve this contradiction by teaching us that vo- both verses are true. One verse refers to this world prior to making a blessing. And the other verse refers to this world after making a blessing. The world, the earth, its fullness are unto God. So prior to making a blessing over food, the food belongs to the Almighty God. But when we make a bracha, a blessing, we have properly dedicated the world to God, and then it becomes ours. Making a bracha, a blessing over food, is one way that we actualize our ideology, we concretize our ideas, and we connect our world to God. We dedicate our world to Hashem, and then it rightfully becomes ours. Likewise, when we recite the Shema or make morning blessings, 
We're expressing our ideology of one God into concrete words. A profound example of this is how we thank God for our bodies after relieving ourselves. And there's so many similar examples in Judaism. So in your path, think about a bracha, a blessing, an act of prayer, a part of the davening. It could be one part of the Shmona Esrei, the silent Amida, such as Modim, when we give thanksgiving to God. But find one part of the day that you connect to and commit to doing that every day with intention. When we build our lives with these small daily commitments, then our days of service will not cease, as it says in Noah. Our lives will continually reflect the life-giving truth that Hashem is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.